I got a word of explanation for you. Those of you who right now are feeling a little wet, in actuality, you're not sweating. Your body temperature is a little bit below the dew point right now. <laughs> that actually is really funny, and I made that up myself. <laughs> and I get nothing. I get nothing! No, here we go. Um, <clears throat> there's times uh, in, in life when things are difficult. Things are difficult. And you've heard that phrase when the going gets tough, huh? The tough get going. Boy, is that overused, huh? How about, how about every time they do that at Twins game, they lose? I don't know what the deal is. Every time I've been there, and that song is good, that, that, that line from uh, Animal House, when he comes on the tough get going, yeah, whatever. But, but it's true. It is true. When the going gets tough, the tough gets going. And I know some of you here this morning need a little motivation. <clears throat> maybe, you've had, maybe you've had a job where you had to be outside all week. Maybe perhaps you came and volunteered and had a scaffolding up 93 feet up here and we're painting the ceiling in 105 degree heat. Huh? Thank you, Dave Hall and, and uh, Kyle Summerall. Uh, whatever you did this week, maybe you just need a little motivation. And, and you know what? I'm that kind of guy. I'm that kind of guy that will deliver. So here you go. Here's some motivation. I went to one of my favorite motivational websites, and, and here it is. First one, these, these posters, you know, these posters are really motivational. First one's on change. <clears throat> it's a short trip from riding the wave of change to being torn apart by the jaws of defeat. Second motivational poster, and I actually agree with this one. I think this is really true because I think this whole quality thing is way overdone. Quality. The race for quality has no finish line. So technically, it's more like a death march. <laughs> Third one. <laughs> I love this one. Fear. Until you have the courage to lose sight of the shore, you will not know the terror of being forever lost at sea. Here's one of those, those one who are optimists, here's yours. Wishes. When you wish upon a falling star, your dreams can come true. Unless it's really a meteorite hurtling to the earth which will destroy all life. <laughs> then you're pretty much hosed, no matter what you wish for. Unless it's death by meteor. <laughs> and the last one here is on pressure. Pressure. It can turn a lump of coal into a flawless diamond or an average person into a perfect basket case. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, some of you who are, you know, one of the most stressful things you can do is be a new parent. So I know there's new parents. I thought I saw Tom over here. No, yeah, there is Tom, new, new, new dad. Here's one just for you, Tom. I had this sent to me this week. Little instruction for you. <laughs> I wish I had had that. I did never knew that. How to check a baby's diaper. That's an actual sign in a men's bathroom somewhere. <laughs> Somebody sent that to me this week. <laughs> yes, no. Don't get the two mixed up. Now, we're in a series right now on the Gospel of John. And we are at a point where, where the going is going to get very tough for the disciples. The going is going to get very difficult for them. In fact, I just want to show you the slide we went through last week. And I showed you the progression of the teaching that, um, that they went through. I can't find one here, so I'll just use this one. Uh, remember this, John chapter 6. Really, this is one big account, but just due to time, we didn't want to go through 71 verses in one week. So we've done this over a series of 
think this is our sixth week, on, and we're done this week with John chapter 6. But you have to kind of follow the progression of thought. John chapter 6, the first 15 verses, Jesus does this miracle. He feeds them. Uh, uh, out of a few loaves and a few fish, he feeds 5,000 plus people. And he gives them all they want and more. There's stuff left over. He feeds them. Then he goes on to use that as a way to teach them. He says, don't work for food that, that dies. Don't work for food that's just temporal. That, you know, I don't know about you, but, but it's around that time and I haven't had any breakfast. And, and you know, it's time to eat lunch pretty soon here. And then pretty soon later you want dinner. It doesn't, you know, yesterday's doesn't, doesn't work. I tell that to my kids when they say I'm hungry. I said, what's wrong with you? I fed you yesterday. Doesn't matter. Every day you get hungry. It doesn't endure. It just, he says, don't do that. Work for food that lasts. Food that will go to eternal life. Then he says, I am the bread of life. Okay, so you see where he's going with this? He says, don't work for food that doesn't last. I am the bread of life. Then he dials that up even more and he says, my bread, this bread I'm talking about is my flesh. Okay, and now it's even going to get trickier. We saw this last week in John 6, 53. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Okay, we've just went to La La Land, right? This is getting really strange. This is getting very difficult. And now there's this whole group of people who are followers of Jesus called disciples. They're, they're following Jesus, and the going has gotten very difficult. This is a very difficult teaching. So what are they going to do? When the going gets tough for the group of disciples of John 6, what did they do? And you're going to see today there are two distinct groups and how they respond to life's circumstances when they got difficult. You are metered out the tone of your character by what happens when things get difficult. Anybody can make it through simple stuff. It's when life dials up and it gets hot Sorry, I will not use that analogy. Uh, it's, it's really cold in the middle of winter. Your car won't start because you get in and it goes, right? It's hard to even imagine that now. But what do you like then? What do you like when life brings disappointments? What do you like when you thought things were going this way and a roadblock, something that is not? It's not just a little thing you can get over, but it's, it's radically going to shift the course of your life. What are you like then? And this is a moment for all of the followers of Jesus who were following him all over the place after he did this great trick with the, with the bread. What's it going to be like? All right, we're going to look through John 6 to the, the end of John 6, 60 through 71. If you want to grab a Bible, there's a little insert, or not, there's no insert today, uh, but the um, uh, little booklets in front of you, whatever. You want to open a Bible to John 6, verse 60. We're going to take a look at this. First thing. John 6, verse 60. On hearing it, this phrase that you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, if you don't do that, you have no part in me. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, what they meant by hard was not difficult to understand. There's another word they could have used to describe that. What they meant by hard here was severe, harsh, fierce, this is a harsh word. How can you use something like this, Jesus? I thought you wanted to make this easy for us. And he's not making it easy at all. He's making it very, very hard, very difficult, very fierce. It's a severe word. They're shaken to their core. It's one of those points where that a why in the road. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? 
Who can actually go about saying that Jesus Christ, you're the center of the universe. I'm going to put my whole life around you. I'm going to put all my trust and, and hopes for the future. Bank, eventually, when they understand more, bank my eternal security on you that you're going to be the, the savior of the world. All of it goes to you. That's hard teaching. Can't do that. Look at how Jesus responds. You think that when they say that, he would, okay, let me, let me make it a little easier for you. He doesn't. He makes it higher. He ups the ante. Verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And notice his next words are not, I'm sorry. He doesn't say that. He dials it up even more. He says, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? He says, does that offend you? Let me give you a little bit more. What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he went before? Now, normally when I study passages like this, I, I like to, you know, kind of study the passage on my own. Then I look at a lot of what different experts and different people have thought about this passage. And, uh, and I, you know, generally there's a flow of thought that I follow. And, and the majority of commentators, the majority of theologians go along with that. I want to give you both this morning. There's, there's two understandings of what this word, what does it mean that he ascends? There's a majority and then there's a minority report. Great movie, by the way. Uh, but there's a minority report, which I think is so cool, I want to mention. But it might not be true. But it's really cool. It's not going to be wrong. It's just not going to be exactly uh, right, whatever that means. It's a postmodern answer for you. <laughs> Most people think that Jesus here is referring to the time when he would ascend to heaven in Acts chapter 1. Most people look at this and say, uh, most of the theologians and commentators I read believe this is saying, okay, you think this is difficult? You think it's difficult for a few words to come out that I'm the bread of life? All right, how about if you're standing and then all of a sudden, up you see me go, and then there I am. You can, it's really clear exactly who I am. Most people think that's what it is. James Montgomery Boyce, who is a big dog, I mean, that's a big name, used to be a, a pastor and a theologian of... One of the Presbyterian churches in Philadelphia was the 10th Presbyterian or one of them. He thinks, and I tend to, I like this one. I don't know if it's right or not, but he tends to think of it in a different way. And he gives a story to give an analogy. He says this. The story is this. A friend of his, who is also a Presbyterian pastor, he was in a, at, a, at a trip in England. And they went to this zoo, this famous zoo where there was this famous sea otter. This huge, big, fat sea otter. And they would feed the sea otter like crazy. And they'd do all these kind of tricks. And the last trick that they would do with the sea otter is they would throw out a bunch of fish. And he would have to jump and get the fish. And he would land in a big splash. And everybody would go crazy. Well, this pastor, this other one uh, besides James Montgomery uh, Boyce, was not videotaping it in those days. They had a film. Okay, so they're filming this thing. And so one of the days when he was around with his little kids, at that time, he had small children. They were watching this film. He thought for kicks, it'd be kind of fun to show it backwards. So he shows it backwards. And what do you see when you tell us? You see this big sea otter coming out of the water, the splash going, you know, inverse, and he coming out and spitting out fish. That's what you see. It all goes backwards, right? And they would yell, the kids, even when they're little, Daddy, Daddy, let us see him spit out fish. Let him see him spit out fish. Montgomery Boyce thinks it could possibly be this, and it's intriguing. He says this, aware that his disciples are grumbling about this, Jesus said, does this offend you? What if I just went back right now? What if I just ascended right now? Don't we forget the whole cross thing? You want to get offended? How about that? How about I just undo it? 
How about I just go backwards? Now, I don't know whether or not that's a true thing on this passage, but it's a cool thing to think about. I know one thing right now. You and I would not be sitting in this room. There'd be no reason. We'd have no hope. If Jesus Christ didn't come and die, or if he decided to just ascend right there and say, you know what, forget it. He doesn't. Praise God, he doesn't. Jesus goes on then in verse 63, says, The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. I'm telling you the truth. If you just hang on to this, I am the bread of life. If you say, Jesus Christ, I come to you, I make you the center of my life, I want to follow you, there's something that's going to happen to you, spring of living water is going to come out of you, he says, and you'll be life. Yet, there are some of you who do not believe. So listen to this now. Man, this is beautiful. He says, I'm speaking these words. These words are life-giving to you, and yet you don't believe it. It's like I'm saying, you're hot right now? There's, there's, a, there's a drinking fountain that's so cool. Just go back there and get some. Or there's a pool you could jump into and you'd feel great. And no one does it. He says, what's up with that? Why are you doing that? That doesn't make any sense. You're not making, hang on here now, you're not making the right choices. Right? I'm telling you this and you're not believing. Now listen to this. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He knew everything. He knew those out there who wouldn't believe. He also knew which among the 12 would betray him. We're going to see that real clear in just a few verses. He knew that. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Huh? Well, which is it? Which is it? Is it complete control of the Father drawing people in? If you want to use a fancy word, is it predestination where God determines that you'll come towards him? Or is it you hearing the words of life and believing? Which is it? The answer class is yes. Don't deny sovereignty of God. It's right here. You cannot get around it. God is completely sovereign. No one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him. No one. But also, don't deny human responsibility. It's completely ludicrous. This has no meaning then. Where he says, I've spoken to you words of life, and you're not believing. Yes, the Father draws you. Yes, you take hold of it and believe. How does that fit together? I don't have a clue. Put it in your theological pipe and smoke it. I don't know. But God is completely sovereign over every molecule. And you have real choices to make. Now, this is what they've heard from Jesus. I'm the bread of life. You have to come to me. You're not believing in me. Unless the Father draws you, you will never come. How do they respond to that? See ya. John 6, 66. Huh? There's that 666. It's one of the freaky 666s in the Bible. Here we go. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Whoa. Hear that? Here it came to man. Here's a why in the road. There's, it's a difficult time. Jesus saying some harsh, severe things. He ups the ante, makes it more harsh. And you know what? Some of them say, I am out of here. And you know what? It's, it's the, the, the freaky thing about this passage is not that it says, oh, some of those who were casually following Jesus. It doesn't say that. It says, 
many of his disciples, these were people that on some level, shape, or form were committed to following Jesus. Now we're going to find out in just a minute, he's not talking about the 12 disciples, because he's going to turn to them and ask them a question, but it was people, disciple literally means learner. So people who were committed to Christ and being a follower of him. I don't know if anyone close to you has ever decided to turn their back on Jesus Christ after being a follower of him. The first person I ever had the opportunity to share what it means to be a follower of Christ, and he responded to it for a period of 83 days. Five years. Five years he followed Christ. Completely turned his back. I'm not just talking about having questions. I'm talking about turning into illegal activity, joining pagan cults. Completely broke my heart. And it still does. From that time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. By the way, let me just throw this in as a side. Most people that, almost all the people that I've known who've decided, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm done with the Jesus thing. I'm done with Christianity. It's been over a couple things. One has been life has gotten difficult and Jesus doesn't quite fit or a future mate. In my case, I work with guys and it's girls that have messed up my guys. Sorry, women. But I'm sure it's a vice versa too. Well, this girl doesn't want me to follow Christ. And I decide that I'm going to worship the girl or, or vice versa. End parenthesis. So now Jesus looks to his 12 and he asks them a question. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Interesting way to state the question, isn't it? You do not want to leave too? It's kind of a weird way to say it. What are you guys thinking? Are they, he's basically telling them what, almost what they should do. It's almost like saying, you should go too. It's the BQ, man. It's the big question. And it's a tense moment. Because this, Jesus has just gone teaching a very difficult la-la land kind of thing. And he looks at his 12 disciples. There's not many more left. Most of them have taken off. And he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And then comes the answer that is one of my favorite passages in all the book of John. Simon Peter speaks up. You can cut the tension in this area. I don't know if they're in a room or not, but if they're still in the synagogue. And you, you can just cut the tension with a knife. And Simon Peter says this. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. There's three things that Simon Peter says there. First thing is, where else do we go? Now, the only way you can honestly ask that question is if you've thought about it. Right? I've looked at all the other options, Jesus, and this flesh thing with the body and eating your flesh and drinking your blood thing has caused me to even think more about other options, but the other options don't measure up. Secondly, you have the words of eternal life. You're the one, I, I really do believe, you're the bread of life. And lastly, he says, we believe that you are the Holy One of God. So you know what? We're staying. Boy, this is tough stuff. This is tough sledding. But we are staying. Where else should we go? There's nowhere else to go. Man, I tell you, my own journey, this passage 
has been huge for me, especially in times when I've wondered about just putting it all. Just thinking, oh man, this is so much work to be a follower of Christ. It'd be so much easier just to, just to sell copiers. I don't know why I default on that one. I just think that's an easy lifestyle. I don't know. You can copy your money or something. I don't know. You just... <laughs> just punt all this. Not just vocationally, but also my heart. Should I just punt it all? And the question that rings in my mind is this question from Peter. Where else do you go? You go to Buddha? Do you go to the Mall of America to satisfy it? What's going to satisfy my soul like Jesus? And there's nothing that will satisfy my soul. Philip Yancey wrote a book called Disappointment with God. If you're going through a difficult life, difficult point in your life, I would encourage you to read that book. I'm going to spoil it though. So if you're going to read it, ah, nah, 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 do one of these because I'm going to spoil it. Here's the final conclusion he says is this. He says life is difficult. And there's two options in life. You can either experience disappointment with God or disappointment without God. There's your options. He says, given those, that frame of reference, I will choose disappointment with God every time. Going through life's difficulties and having the hope of Jesus Christ every time. Jesus responds back to them in verse 7. He says, have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Jesus knew clearly who it was who was going to betray him. He chose Judas. And Jesus here, even in this last section on I am the bread of life, is pointing to what's going to happen at the end of his life, how it's going to happen. Even at this moment of really big, happy camaraderie with the 12. The 12, after the crowds all leave and say, we are out of here, the 12 say, you know what? That was, that was hard, but we're committed. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to die a horrible death, and one of you is going to betray me. Now let me ask you this. Same question that goes through, goes through the disciples' head at this time is when the going gets tough for you, what will you do? What will you do? Will you just look for whatever it is that will possibly satisfy? Whatever it was will leave you pain-free? Or will you say, Whom, who else can give me the words of eternal life? Where else can I possibly go? Let's pray. Jesus, there is nowhere else. There is nowhere else. I know for some of us in this room, we have tried just about every possible thing. And there's nothing else that will satisfy us other than you. So God, as we leave this passage of you are the bread of life, I pray that our hearts would be satisfied in you, you alone. Lord, I pray for people in this room. God, if they're at a point right now where they're thinking that, you know what, following Jesus is hard. Who, who can accept such a teaching? Who can accept such a thing? Perhaps in their own Bible reading or in their own meeting with you, or even just hearing a sermon, or perhaps even hearing this sermon. They're saying, who, who can do that? God, I pray that no one in this room, no one in this room would depart from you. I pray that 50 years from now, those of us who are still alive would be able to meet and to be excited about what you've done in our lives. God, I pray that none would be lost. None would fall away. 
God, that's only going to happen when your spirit moves and we move in obedience to you. God, that has to happen that way. So, Spirit of God, would you do that in this room? Do that even when we're obstinate against you. Draw us to yourself. Lord God, as we sing this last song, if there's things in our heart, in our mind that we're holding, apart from you, God, would you just bring them to our minds and that we would turn from them and to say along with Peter, you have the words of eternal life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.